Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It... Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon in paperback and ebook formats, and volumes one through eight, available in audio format at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So go out and buy a couple of copies and make this old dog howl. And now, without any further ado, my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you tonight? Oh! <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I, was, I was just driving back to the house tonight, Bill, uh... In the dark here out at the coast, and a big coyote walked across the street in front of me. Wow, how big is big? Yeah, like a Labrador Retriever size. That's good, good size. Not a jumbo, but that's a pretty good size. Yeah, well, you know, could certainly make life interesting for you if it snuck up on you and started snarling. Yeah, I was happy I was in the truck. Yeah. I don't know how those people, uh, those people, I don't know how those uh, coyotes react to people. Can they be uh, ornery? You know, they're, generally they're afraid of people, but they do have to eat. Um, yeah. And it's pretty fascinating. Like, you know, I hadn't experienced coyotes until I uh, have the house out here. And we're right on the edge of federal land here, federally protected land and uh, the oceans, you know, in the other direction. And because it's federally protected land, like there's no hunting at all. And, yeah. you know, we end up having these coyotes that are kind of all over the place. And in a sense, they're protected. So I started reading about them. And it's pretty fascinating. You know, folks out there, if you haven't read about the coyotes, I mean, they basically you could see them anywhere now because they've done a great job of adapting. And and one of the ways that they adapt is. Normally, uh, like they were solo hunters, you know, they'd go and get squirrels on their own and stuff like that. They weren't really mm -hmm. a pack hunting animal. And uh, but they've learned that they can adopt uh, as needed to also hunt as a pack so they can take down deer and stuff like that. So, you know, when you read about them, it's interesting because, you know, you look at wolves often endangered and almost extinct and then coming back with with special help, and then coyotes are just like all over the place because they adapt. Yeah, I you know. saw I saw a trail cam uh, photo one day of uh, I you know on a trail cam I couldn't tell how big this coyote was, but the camera caught it with a small you know what do you call a small deer a fawn? 
Yep, baby, fawn. Yeah, patted around the neck, carrying it away. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, they could attack another dog or even a baby if you left it out in the yard. Yeah, and and I've seen them as big as like a good-sized German Shepherd here. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you gotta watch yourself. You gotta watch yourself. They're wild animals. Oh you know? yeah, and they're stealthy critters too. Like you know, the times I've seen them, other than being in the car, like I'll be walking down the road at night, right near the house here, and you get a feeling that something's looking at you. You know, like we talk about all the time with the Bigfoot sightings, mm-hmm. and you just kind of stop, look to your left, and there's a big coyote standing there. Yeah, they remind me a lot of a large fox. Oh yeah. That kind of wily uh, critter, you yeah. know. I mean, we have fox, too, but the coyotes, man, they're bigger critters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no no doubt about it, you yeah. know. So what do we have tonight, bro, in our cryptids in the news? Yeah, and other we're not oddities. talking about coyotes, actually. Uh, we have a, a really interesting story tonight, and we're going to get the creep on uh-huh. with uh, the gray man of Pawleys Island, South Carolina. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yes. <laughs> the gray this man. Is, this is kind of a cool <laughs> uh, ghost story, but people have seen him pretty recently that we'll cover. And this story I'm going to uh, quote from comes from WCBD uh, from South Carolina, which is Channel 2 down there in South Carolina. And, okay. um, you know, the, the lead into the story is that those who live in the low country out here in South Carolina, when they see a ghost, and specifically when they see the gray man walking along on the beach, they know it's time to leave the coast. Wow. And the theory is that the gray man appears when there's a hurricane coming. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. How long has this been going on? Yeah, so interesting question. So it goes back, the legend of the gray man goes back to 1822. Wow, that's a 200 years ago. 200 years ago. And then they've seen him uh, as recently as 2018, right before the big Hurricane Florence hit here in South Carolina and North Carolina, where I am. Wow. Who recorded that? Who, uh, you know, uh, like who took note of the fact that it was seen just before Florence? They they just talk about it, that people see it, and then they're like, okay, what's going on? So let me uh, tell you a little bit about the story here. Okay. So it is a love story, okay? And uh, basically, there was uh, um, a young man who had been at sea for a very long time, And he was traveling from Charleston to see his fiancée to ask her hand in marriage. Not manage. Uh And uh, (laughs) she she was up in Pauly's Island, which is not that far from Charleston, relatively speaking. And, Uh you know, basically there was an approaching storm. And this gentleman uh, thought that he'd shorten a trip. And with his horse, he'd take a shortcut through the marsh just outside of Pauly's Island, right? He wants to see his fiancée, and uh, he takes a little shortcut through the woods. But the water and the mud is so thick that it ends up being like quicksand. So down there there in South Carolina, they call it pluff mud, P-L-U-F-F. And uh, apparently this mud 
sucks him and his horse under the surface, killing them. Oh, what a way to freaking go. Yeah, awful, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, his fiance gets word of her lover's death and how it all happened and stuff like that. And, of course, she's devastated, right? You can only imagine. And uh, she starts to take regular walks to the beach to clear out her head, right? She's devastated, loses her fiancé after waiting for him while he's away at sea for a long time, and then he dies this horrific death. I would imagine nobody found him. Like, how did they know he got sucked? Yeah, I guess they somehow they found him to to be able to know what happened to him, you know. Okay, they saw the tracks maybe going into this area where they knew there was this quicksand-like pluffed mud, right? Oh. Who knows? Oh, yeah, yeah, what a hideous thing, quicksand. Yep, yep. And then, so she'd be walking on the beach on on a regular basis, and uh, the one time she comes across this man standing in her path. And she says, you know, that the man was familiar, and he was dressed in all gray, and as she got closer to the man, she recognized the face of the man as her lover, her fiancé. Oh, boy. Yeah. And uh, knowing, you know, that her fiancé was indeed dead, she starts to ask questions of the man. And the man doesn't really tell her anything other than that she should leave the island immediately because a serious storm is approaching. And then he disappeared. So the woman, yeah, the woman rushes home, tells her family about the experience, and uh, they end up actually believing her and heeding the warning. They gather some of their belongings and head off to the island into uh, inland South Carolina. And very soon after, that whole area was lashed by a vicious hurricane. And then, coincidentally, only one home was untouched, and it was hers. Wow, that is really something. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like this little creepy story here. Oh, man. You know, I meant to tell you, just as a side note, and this has nothing to do with anything, you know, watch yourself when you're fishing down by the surf. Yeah. Because the sand that you're standing in with the water, and it can get water-soaked and can kind of suck you in. Before you know it, you could be up to your crotch and stuck in your waders or whatever, you know. it's. I've had it loosen up around me a couple of times and just mm. stepped away, you know. Yeah, I know I've seen uh, some trucks out here on the beach that, you know, of course you never should go down below the surf line with four-wheel drive vehicle. But people right. do, you know, and they go down, you know, low tide, they go below the high tide surf line, and mm. once in a while, like, they'll drop like four feet, into an unseen hole. Yeah. You know, yeah. Lose the whole front end yeah, of the truck. It's pretty creepy when that starts to happen to you because you realize how quickly uh, it could turn. And when I hear about this pluff mud, I mean, you just can't imagine going in and realizing I can't even get any footing and you're oh, sinking. Man. Could you imagine suffocating in mud? You know. Uh, uh. Oh my god. Awful. And you're there with your horse and the horse is struggling and Yeah. You know, I don't and know if it's true or not, but they used to show it on those old Western T V shows and that where they would say 
the key is not to struggle, you know, to kind of stay still. Now, again, yeah. I don't know yeah. if that's true or if that's hogwash. Yeah, and you used to see that in the old Tarzan movies, right? Yeah, They'd be in same the jungle. Thing. Yep. Get stuck in the quicksand, you know, and Exactly. Uh, oh my God! What a way to go! So coming forward, uh, other people have seen this guy through the years, huh? They have, they have, and they've uh, filmed uh, specials on this with TV shows like Unsolved Mysteries, where they have interviewed some of the modern day folks that have seen the Gray Man right before uh, you know some of these big hurricanes like Florence. And, you know, it, it sounds a little, like, crazy, you know, that people would leave just because someone told them to leave. But you remember, you know, it's like, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not that long ago where people basically had no warning yeah. of hurricanes coming. Because, you know, you think yeah. about it, oftentimes, you can even see it on the Weather Channel these days, right before the hurricane, the weather's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like a sunny And that's a, a, a lot of the... A lot of these boat wrecks, uh, you know, where these guys try to come up with the, the treasure, those guys were completely unaware and they were relying entirely on the wind. Yeah. You know, yeah. All, all of a sudden you're out in the middle of the Gulf or wherever you are, rounding Florida, the Bahamas, and you see a storm on the horizon and you're not thinking it's a 150-mile-an-hour hurricane. It could just be a thunderstorm, you know? No, no, but then also it's even worse, you know, these... These folks that are on the land, not worse than being at sea, but worse in the following way that, you know, the storm comes and then the eye of the storm comes and they think it's over. You yeah. know, so they kind of unbatten the hatches, so to speak. And mm-hmm. then the back end of the storm is often more fierce than the front end of the storm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. Wow, man. You know, we're very fortunate to live in a time when we have such warning uh, it's almost incessant, though. You know, like when we watch the Weather Channel and they, they talk about the storm for seven days. Right. You know, before it hits. So, I mean, you have to be a fool not to at least touch base with the weather and see what's going on. Uh, but nothing gets to jump on us now, thank God. No, no, but it wasn't that long ago where we couldn't forecast these things coming. Yeah. You know, and again, it really? would be a beautiful day, and then all of a sudden, like a light switch, it would turn horrible, and then you'd get the eye of the storm, think it was over, and then get hammered after that. So, yeah. you know, this yeah. is pretty creepy character. You know, some of the folks that have seen him, uh, you know, in modern day, they say, um, you know, that, that he is wearing um, gray clothing, always gray clothing, a long coat. Some folks say kind of dressed like a pirate. Now, that Hmm. could be because he was a sailor, you know. Mm -hmm. And then get this. Sometimes it's he's described as not having legs. Wow. So I don't know if that's because of uh, (coughs) the way he died or what, you know, the spirit. Who knows? Yeah. It's it's an apparition. Right. Could be incomplete. I mean, we have no knowledge of these things, you know. Wow, that's interesting, man. The Gray Man of Pawleys Island. Exactly. South Carolina. Yeah, and uh, again, Kev, we have to invite our listeners, if you've had a sighting of the Gray Man or can add anything to this, you know, 
BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact button, and that's where you get a hold of us. You got it. Wow, Kev, good story. Yeah, good is stuff. Is that it? I mean, is that that's where it. we're going with yeah, that? that's it. No, Sorry. It's, it's <laughs> excellent. No, it's excellent. No, that's, that's really enough. And the fact that there was a love story attached to it. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, it makes it more, not cool for him or her, no. but uh, cool, cool nevertheless. Interesting, too, that their house didn't get attacked. I don't know what, what yeah, that had to do with it. That's wild. I have no idea. Yeah, it's like it was protected. Amazing. Well, I have a real interesting uh, Bigfoot account here today. And uh, I don't know. Let me just dig into it and we'll talk about it and see what the listeners uh, think or have to say about it. Uh, this particular account was told to me by a fellow named Perry Michaels, a resident of the state of Washington. And basically, this is what Perry had to say about his sighting one day in July. I was with a group of seven hikers, all of whom were and are personal friends of mine, all of us regularly hiking together. We were walking in a line spaced maybe some 10 or 15 feet apart at fairly high elevation nearing our destination, which was Desolation Peak. We were on a fairly steep slope that was in bloom with thousands of wildflowers with Ross Lake in view far below us in the distance. The slope that we were on descends to form what I will refer to as a valley between it and an adjoining hillside, which was off to our left. Aside from the grass and the wildflowers, which gave the appearance or this area the appearance of an alpine meadow in Europe, everywhere that you looked were clusters of what I believe are small spruce trees none of which I believe were or are more than 25 to, say, 30 feet tall, with many of them seeming much smaller than that. The day was beautiful, with the exception of a haze that was hanging over both the mountain and the lake below us. The haze in no way hindered our ability to see fairly far in virtually any direction. This entire area is covered in, say, 30% trees, and the rest is all open meadow-like terrain, which is itself covered in grass and flowers as well. The reason I mention all of this is so that you understand that unless something or someone was to deliberately stop to conceal itself in a patch of small trees— it would only be a matter of seconds before it would be visible again as it walked. Whenever we as a group get together, there's very little chatter going on amongst us because we are all of the same kindred spirit. We hike to get away and immerse ourselves in a natural world, and part of that escape is to leave jabbering behind. We were about four hours into the hike, having reached the area that I just described to you, when Joey, who was taking the lead, had stopped and pointed towards the base of, an adjoin of the adjoining slope, saying, 
Hey, guys, check that out. From our position, we were more than likely a thousand feet higher looking down across this valley at two figures walking in single file below us on the opposing slope. These two figures were both very dark in color from head to toe and walking on two legs with what I will describe as a rather unusual type of gait. Both Joey and I were carrying good field glasses. The two of us brought both of the creatures into focus, immediately realizing that we were looking what we were looking at were two Sasquatch. Talking quietly, everyone wanted to have a look at the critters, so we passed the glasses back and forth amongst us, watching these creatures walk along the slope. With the exception of them passing from time to time behind some of these short trees that I described to you earlier, we watched them walk for well over a thousand yards or more. It was then at that point when the pair of creatures entered into a small patch of trees, but did not come out on the other side. At that moment, we collectively decided to descend the slope, keeping ourselves well concealed as we did so, in the hope of getting a closer look at them when they re-emerged from the cover of the trees. Having descended the slope, angling ourselves towards where we knew they were, we had now achieved a distance of maybe 500 yards away from them, and we dared not get any closer. It's not that we were afraid, so to speak, but the slope from this point forward was virtually devoid of any further tree cover uh, on our side. Each of us sat hidden behind a number of trees, waiting and hoping that the Sasquatch would once again show themselves. Our group sat still and watched this patch of trees intently for the better part of an hour. When one of the Sasquatch came darting out of the trees, it was in pursuit of what we could see was some type of small critter running around on the ground. Speaking for myself at the time, I thought this was a groundhog or something of the sort. And after a brief pursuit, it looked to me like the creature stomped on it and killed it. I say this because it did in fact stop running suddenly, and I couldn't see the critter running anymore either. With that, the creature reached down to the ground and lifted something into the air, which to my eyes was in fact a dead animal. With that, it re-entered the cover of the trees, and some ten minutes later, both of them came back into view. I put my glasses on them squarely and could see now that they were both holding at least several of the same type of animal in their hands. Initially, as we waited, we were all wondering what they were doing in this patch of trees for an hour. However, now we know they had gone in there for a reason. 
there was obviously some type of den or burrow in there where they acquired these animals. Perhaps they were waiting at the entrance or even digging it up, which is something we will never know. What we do know is what we saw. They had come empty-handed and were leaving with both hands full. The two of them casually began to retrace their steps back in the direction from where we had first seen them. Using the average tree height around us as a gauge, I estimated they were some, somewhere between 8 and 12 feet tall. Of course, we had no way of really telling, but they were certainly very tall and broad. At one point, as we were walking, the one taking up the rear actually kind of swatted the one in front of it with one of the dead critters on its back. To me, it looked very much like a gesture of kidding around, like you or I would do with each other. The entire sighting was obviously something that none of us would ever forget. And I have to say to you that up until that point in my life, I hadn't really given their existence much thought. Having seen the pictures and heard the stories, it was more or less a meaningless thing to me as to whether or not they did or didn't exist. But after that day, my viewpoint and outlook has obviously changed dramatically. These creatures are in fact real, and now the seven of us know it for ourselves. What do you make of that, Kevin? Little groundhog hunting. Pretty you know, impressive. Seven people seeing them for so long, right? Yeah, and greater again, than they a thousand had, yards. They had altitude on them when they first sighted them, right? He said they were like a thousand feet above them. Yep. Uh, which reminds me of that. Uh, was it Alaska? That footage we saw a long time ago. Yeah, when they were kids out were, on the snowfield, like on the mountainside. Yeah. Yes, yes, and they saw that little black creature in the distance, just yeah, kind of. I think it was up in British Columbia, you know, near Alaska. But yeah, I'm just going yeah. by memory. But I was thinking about the same thing, Bill. Where yeah. it was a bunch of hikers on the ridge, and they're looking, and they're like, "What is that?" You know. Yeah. And they're looking at it with the binoculars, but in this case, he had two, two Bigfoot. Yeah, real interesting. And, you know, of course, dark head to toe. Anybody in their right mind at that point knows you're not looking at a couple of hikers. Come on. No, no. And uh, it also reminded me of that account. And this is why I do accounts periodically, folks. I do re repeats or rerun because, first of all, I love them. Second of all, there's always new people coming. And third of all, Bigfoot and the discovery and discussion around Bigfoot is all about repetition. It reminds me of that account, Kev, if you recall, where that guy heard the whacking or thumping on logs, however he described it, and he wound up pulling down. He saw that Bigfoot knock down that dead tree and grab the, uh, what was it, a possum? Yeah, 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 yeah. From inside the tree. Yeah. Yep. Like he was listening to it to hear inside that something I was in there, that. you know? So these, these guys, I mean, you think about it. Think about how a cat stands by a mole's hole or a mouse hole and waits. Oh, yeah, they're patient. 
Yeah, they could they could have been sitting there and then took their big mitts and started ripping the den apart, grabbing them as soon as they started, tried to snap at them. Yep. Just incredible, huh? Pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, it's good stuff. And, uh, you know, folks, by the way, if you've seen something, say something. Again, you can get us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, the contact link. And uh, I'll be in touch with you, man. You know, I want to hear what you have to say, and that's how these things come about. 100%. That's super cool, Bill. And that was in beautiful Washington State, where I lived for four or five years. Pretty cool place. Did you ever hear of uh, Desolation Peak? You know, there's a lot of names out there that are like that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of these bleak names. So yeah, it sounds a little familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Ross Lake, R-O-S-S. That doesn't sound familiar, but. Yeah. I would imagine there's a lot of lakes up in the woods up there, too. too. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, though. Very interesting. And another great uh, account of uh, Bigfoot actually being seen somewhat on the hunt, right? A little different way. Chasing those little groundhogs. Yeah. (laughs) Or whatever they were. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Some type of critter. Prairie dogs, whatever. How about his estimate between 8 and 12 feet? Uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because, like, the 12 foot is like, oh, my God. Like, Yeah. That's like Godzilla. Yeah, well, if you're measuring up at 500 yards based on what's, like, around you, it's a very indefinite science, obviously. Absolutely, uh, But whatever, yeah. whatever they were, they were big. Big. I'll yeah. go with big. Uh, you know, I'm sitting in a room here with 8-foot ceilings, and... I don't want to face anything with eight-foot ceilings and a four or five <laughs> or six-foot wide shoulder. No. You know, it's just unbelievable. So that's it, Kev. I mean, a great account, a uh, great story coming in about the gray man from Pauly's Island, South Carolina. And uh, what do we have in line for our listener mail? Yeah, we got some great listener mail tonight. Um, and uh, we also have some, you'll be happy to know, some grammatical pronunciation corrections, oh, which we, I'm going to cover because we're always open-minded to that. Yeah, not me, bro. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but first off, we have a great email from Judy from Georgia. And I think Judy's written in before. Uh-huh. Um, and always has some good insights. And she writes, well, first off, the subject is one of our favorite people on television, Dr. Travis Taylor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Says, Skin, uh, Skinwalker, fr- Skinwalker Ranch, buddy. Ranch scientist. Uh-huh. And she says, hi, guys. I've seen this talked about on several TikTok accounts. Evidently, Dr. Taylor of Skinwalker Ranch fame may soon be asked to testify before Congress regarding UAPs. Oh, and she isn't that interesting? And I went and I looked at the link, and not only that, apparently he's joined uh, a company. I won't say the name of the company. It's not a household name, at least to me. But they're hiring, this company is hiring a couple of these high-profile folks that have usually worked in the top secret space to uh, work for them, this private company. And, you know, there's speculation in the news about the fact that maybe they're trying to capitalize on learning about some of these new technology from these potential UAPs. 
Huh. Well, yeah. good luck with that. I mean, if there's something we could use, I think there's already people using it. Yeah, yeah. And but so Judy goes on. So thank you, Judy. She put that link in, which I hadn't heard about, and I am a fan of Dr. Travis Taylor. Uh, and then she finishes up by saying, "Always enjoy your work and never miss an episode." God bless you both, and prayers for Paula, Judy from Georgia. Good job, Judy. And I believe that's Judy with a B. I know okay. Judy. I know the name. Oh. And uh, you're right. I believe she has uh, contacted us in the past with a couple of different. I uh, think so. Yeah. Yeah. Blurbs. And see, this is an interactive show. Uh, I don't think everybody buys into that, but we do have a tremendous base and quite a few people who chime in regularly, sharing data and tips and uh, interesting blurbs with us, and we follow up on them. Oh, yeah, and I, I really love, you know, uh, 157 episodes in. I love to hear from you about other cryptids and other oddities that you want us to look at. Yeah, you know, so yeah, there's no doubt about good. it. I think I've only repeated one, and that was my beloved spring Jack. <laughs> I just can't get enough of Spring Hill, Jack, so there might be a third episode soon. <laughs> yeah, and how about that dude that chimed in? And uh, what was the terminology you used for those guys that are basically uh, gymnasts? Oh, and- yeah, the gymnasts. I forget what it's called. I'd never heard of it before, but then I went and looked. Like, they practice doing this jumping and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah wow. they're, they're fairly adept at... Uh, and work hard at the craft, you know? Yeah. So that was an option uh, for Spring Heel, but we don't know, of course. You know, I we still just... think he was an early Batman. <laughs> well, listen, he couldn't have been an early fat man. He never would have made it onto a roof. He never would have made it over the roof. That's right. <laughs> fat man! All right. <laughs> All right, and as promised, we get some help with pronunciation from Preston from Colorado. Uh, uh, And Preston says, cool to hear you mention Canyon City. uh I was just listening to your new episode. I love you guys. But not to be a jerk, just for your own knowledge, Estes Park is pronounced Estes Park. Yeah. Can we trust this guy as being some type of authority? I don't know. And then he says, Salida <laughs> is actually pronounced Salida, not to be confused with saliva. <laughs> I added that part. He didn't put that part in there. So I've been saying Estes Park. It's actually Estes Park. Sorry to all of you out there that wouldn't be able to sleep for the last few weeks. And uh-huh. when I've been saying Salida, it's actually Salida. Uh-huh. And when I, like I say <laughs> when I say tomato, some people say tomato. Tomato. And when you say saliva, here's what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Let me All say right. that again. <laughs> <laughs> and another email from a from a recent podcast from Eddie. And the subject is Cathedral Spires Trail Custer State 
Park. Uh, here we go. Yeah, and he says, Hi, Bill and Kevin. Look forward to the show every week. As you suggested, I'm one of those guys who listens while cutting the grass or doing other work around the house. Uh-huh. Just heard the latest show and enjoyed the account of the South Dakota South Dakota siding. My family and I hiked that very trail last July and saw the goats, but no wow. Bigfoot. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, a little confirmation coming through there. Yeah. And then he writes, Kevin, you mentioned that you wanted to check it out. And in all capitals, he writes, I highly recommend it. Okay. And he says, though Custer is not a national park, it is on the same level in our books. That trail is is in my top five hikes. And we've done 14 national parks all over the country as a family and have been fortunate to experience some great ones. Please do yourself a favor and check it out, as well as the Bison and Sylvan Lake. So How thank, about that? Yeah, thank you, Eddie. It's definitely going in my bucket list uh, a journal here. So I definitely will check it out. Thank you for the hot tip. And he says, look forward to many more episodes. Bill, you and Paula continue to be in my prayers. Every time I listen, it is a reminder to do that for you. Thanks for bringing a bright spot to every week, Eddie. Fantastic. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, top five hikes in his book. Yeah, and he's been to 14 national parks. Yeah. I don't think I've been to 14 national parks. Yeah, and the confirmation of uh, seeing the little mountain goats or whatever they are, they got to be mountain goats because... Those other folks saw the thing up on the side, like standing you know, on a little... I think technically goats that are on a mountain are mountain goats. <laughs> you, do you think so? That's what I would call them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, That's but one incredible. of your favorites is coming up next from Brad. Okay. And he says, greetings, KJ and WJ from Indiana. Yeah, I'm that one listener who would always write in asking you if you have both seen Expedition Bigfoot episodes. I'm Uh happy to say that I will no longer annoy you with that. I was curious (laughs) if either of you have seen or heard of Survivor Man Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's with Les Stroud, an outdoor expert. And in, I think, eight-plus episodes, he decides he wants to go out and find firsthand evidence of Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah. And uh, he has some pretty interesting uh, encounters and finds some pretty interesting evidence. Thanks for all the great podcasts, Brad. And I know, Bill, I, I picked that one because you are a huge fan of Sur- Survivor Man Bigfoot and turned me on to it as well. Yeah, now, uh, for those of you out there, I'll give a little plug to Les. Uh, I bought on his website, he had the Survivor Man uh, Bigfoot series in a three-DVD disc set. Uh, Nordag, Radium Springs, The Legend of Klemtu Hill, Giants of the Forest, Where the Myth Began, Mystery of Bigfoot Mountain, the Smoky Mountain Sasquatch, Searching the Southwest, and the Hidden World of Bigfoot. I highly recommend 
purchasing this and showing some support for Les. I'm not of the mindset that he was a skeptic. You know, unless if you're out there, I love you, brother. I kind of thought he was playing that a little bit. I got a feeling he's pretty convinced that something was out there, and he just wanted to see if he could produce more evidence. Well, I'll tell you what, he's definitely brave. When he's out there at night sometimes by himself, basically, you know, jeez. Yeah. You know, in the middle of nowhere. What do you think if he turned around, he's got like a, a, a Ruger and a Colt 45 or something that we're not seeing? Yeah, maybe a howitzer. <laughs> Launching some shells yeah. across the yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's got a sawed-off pump on a sling <laughs> under his sweatshirt on his back, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, good old Les, man. Yeah. I really, you know, I wish a dude like that would open it up again. Somebody would finance him to start over and do it all, all again. Absolutely. Uh, Excellent, excellent uh, resource. Did a fantastic job with that show. And, geez, I was almost in tears when it wasn't on anymore. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's some things in life you just wish would never end. I'm with you. I could I could have watched Les Straub uh, going in and out of locations looking for Bigfoot for 20 years. And... Uh, you know, again, you say the guy was very brave, you know, and knowledgeable. Yeah. And uh, in in his DVDs, uh, the one story he was with that guy who was leading him into, I believe, Alberta, where he said he had numerous encounters with Bigfoot. And that dude was the one who said he found boot tracks. And that one night he was making a fire and heard automatic weapons open up for like 60 seconds. Whoa. Yeah, can you imagine how much lead automatic weapons could lay down in a They're minute? throwing some lead, that's for sure. Yeah, and then he heard a helicopter coming, mm. never saw it, blacked out, and it was going in the direction of where the gunfire came from. Wow. And uh, the insinuation was that he believed that uh, some governmental entities were taking out Bigfoot. Wow. Yeah, that was kind of freaky. Yeah, that qualifies as freaky. Yeah. Well, what do you say about that, you know? Yeah. But, Crazy, uh, man. You know, we did see in Expedition Bigfoot those copters were hanging around them on a few different occasions, you know? Yeah, in the middle so, of nowhere. Uh, were they looking at them? Were they looking at something else? Were they just practicing and flying around on night maneuvers? We don't know. They don't know. Interesting, though, huh? Yeah. Well, good podcast, Bill, uh, as usual. And, folks, thank you for writing in. Thanks for those great five-star reviews, too. If you haven't left us a five-star review lately, please do so. It is virtually the only way we have of attracting new listeners to the podcast are those five-star reviews. And if you want to leave a written review, too, we read all of them and love hearing from you. Yeah, and, you know, uh, who's that guy's name, Kev Preston? Oh, Preston with the pronunciation? Yeah, was he the one that was on the Cathedral Spires Trail? No, 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 that was... uh, That was Brad. Eddie. Oh, Eddie, Eddie. I got them all mixed up. You're all mixed up. 
At least I remember all the names. You did remember all the names. I'll give that to you. (laughs) But listen, folks, if you should find yourself in South Dakota stomping around on the Cathedral Spires Trail, you better remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.